Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Quarks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Quarks and Conversation with Lisa Renee Jones. Yes, we're so excited to talk with Lisa today. She's a prolific and best-selling author and she, we just have so much to discuss. I with know, her. I can't wait. So let's dive in. So this we're in the same place. I know. <laughs> this is so rare for us. I'm not yeah. used to turning to look at you. I know because this is this is new. But um, I want to tell everybody about Lisa Renee Jones um, in case they are not aware. So a couple things you need to know. She is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author. Um, she is the. Do you have a copy of her book? She is the. Um, Yes. And we're showing The Poet is a standalone thriller. Yes. Um, she also has another thriller series, which is the Lila Love thriller series. Yes. She is also an extremely successful romance writer, which we also can't wait to ask her about. She is the author of the highly acclaimed Inside Out series, the Tall, Dark and Deadly series, and the Secret Life of Amy Benson series. From all these books, she has spent weeks and months on the New York Times bestsellers list and the USA Today bestselling list. Prior to her career in writing and publishing, she owned a multi-state staffing agency that was really highly recognized by the Austin Business Journal. She was written up in Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, very, very impressive stuff. She lives in Colorado with her husband, a cat that talks too much. We were actually discussing this before <laughs> we got started today, and a golden retriever who is afraid of trash bags. So they and can her have own their bark. own series. <laughs> and her own bark. She does not bark. She's oh, completely no. like, yes, she barked once when she was one. Well, she barked when she was a puppy, but around one when her bark got big, she barked, scared herself, hid behind me, and we cannot convince her to bark again. <laughs> Oh my gosh, she, she needs her own book series, I think. <laughs> so welcome, Lisa. We're so glad you're here today. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> first things first. Yeah, we first should talk about first. the wine. The that's, wine. That's most important oh, yes. is the wine. wine. So <laughs> we went with Lisa's um, recommendation today, the Miomi um, Pinot Noir. It's from California. I have mine too. So cheers to you, Lisa. This is so fun. Cheers. Yes, I actually didn't think I liked Pinot, but this one's really smooth. And mm -hmm. um, so I found this and COVID at P.F. Chang's, I think. <laughs> I prefer this. Yes. <laughs> Me too. But in our many encounters at the bar at P.F. Chang's, we found this and like I said, at COVID. <laughs> it's very, very good. Well, I'm glad you still like the wine. I still like the even wine. Even though it has that connotation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One is necessary to get through the other, I imagine. That's, that yes. is actually true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the tasting notes are really interesting. It's a bright strawberry jammy fruit, mm -hmm. mocha, vanilla, and toasty oak. That's it is a tasty mix. It is a nice yeah, I kind of nice... taste the strawberry. I actually never read the mm -mm. summary of it, but I kind of taste the strawberry. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's fair. We just keep we have to keep tasting it to 
to see, yeah. that, to see if we can now that you that flavors, I'm like, wait, is that what it's <laughs> By the end, we're going to be like, uh, yeah. uh, pace ourselves. Yeah, actually, you don't want me to keep sipping because I yeah, know alcohol very poorly, very poorly. We hope that, you know, we get some fun stuff, you know, when people have a... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. So let's get into your writing. You are a prolific writer. While Christy and I were in my office today, I was scrolling through your website and I was counting. I was counting the number of books. I think I got it's to amazing. like 105. Yeah, I, when people ask me how many books I say, I don't know, because honestly, I usually, I, wow, is it that many? <laughs> it was. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. And, and so if you go to Lisa's website, there's the thriller tab and then there's the romance tab. And so I toggled between the two of them and I got to 105, but... I'm not the best at counting. <laughs> That's yeah. all within 15 years or so, right? Yeah, but you know, I think um, you mentioned I owned a staffing agency. Well, that business was just a tough business. I mean, it was 80 hour weeks, near Easter weekend. We had the Dell computer account. We need, you know, 300 temporaries Monday morning. So it's like, oh, so much for Easter, you know? So I was so used to working mm -hmm. so hard and having so much stress with that. And that business was seven days a week. So um, I think for me, writing and working, like when I don't have something to do, I get really antsy and I feel weird. Like when I finish a book, I feel weird. Like, what? wait, I, yeah. I think all authors feel that a little bit because you're letting go of the characters in the world you've lived in so intensely too. But I think especially because I have a hard time relaxing. I think I fell in love with my husband partially because he's a smell the roses kind of guy. And he really made me, he makes me stop and, you know. <laughs> oh, that's good. He's nearby, so he's looking over here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the day I really felt like I, I love this guy. We were out of town, and he saw a chocolate store, and he like grabbed my hand. And he's like, "Chocolate! We have to go see the chocolate." And I'm like, "I don't remember the last time I just got so much joy out of chocolate, though. I'm not sure why." <laughs> I mean, chocolate's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's that's great. That's that is fun. fantastic. Yeah. That's, yeah. a nice that's a very good yin and yang. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. So I am so curious. Most of our listeners are crime fiction, thriller, mystery um, readers. I'm so curious about the transition from writing romance into or adding in to the thriller mystery genre into your repertoire. Well, all my stuff pretty much has a thriller aspect, like Inside Out, which is a series that really made my career. And it has been in development in Hollywood forever I kid you mm. not it's like champagne and roller at this roller coaster of champagne and tears I mean we've literally been to we're going to cast we've been at stars we've been at Paramount we've been all over the place but um oh, wow. and the reason for that is the thriller component to that series I mean a woman finds a journal uh well her her neighbor finds a journal in a storage unit at the time we were storage we were doing storage auctions oh and, yeah, we actually were some of the first ones to do it before the show ruined, ruined it. And I got to meet, well, meet by phone many times, the uh, the guys from Storage Wars. And I was like, y'all ruined that business. And they're like, we know, we know. But um, <laughs> oh. because, because Inside Out is um, somebody or the, the, trying to make extra money. Her friend and neighbor finds a journal and she kind of hands it off to her and then leaves to go, you know, off with this guy. And so she gets obsessed the main character gets obsessed with the journal and she's reading it. it's very sexy don't get me wrong which to me though in this particular series isn't about sex it's about danger because mm -hmm. she's reading it and she's involved with these people and then she gets to this part where it's um 
okay, that's very ominous. Something's wrong. And she decides to check on her and she finds out she's actually missing. And she's a school teacher who takes her job at, the, at an art gallery. And she gets involved with these men, but you don't know, you know, is she dead? And is one of those men oh, so, yeah. is a part of it. So the series is very much a thriller. Um, wow. and, and to me, in that series, the sexual component is, when are you the most vulnerable when you are um, maybe doing something that's not normal to you? And maybe you're about to die because of it. And, right. uh, I mean, how many true crimes do you see that are people who go to sex clubs or something like that, you know? Sure. And in this case, it's not about a sex club. It's just about her and the relationships and how she, you know, stretches. So that's, so my roots really are in thrillers and romances. Um, wow. and, but it's the thriller aspect of it that I have always loved. Well, great. We're going to have to read those. Too. I know. Now I like like that's, it. Yeah, that's required reading. I don't know if we have enough time to read 104 books. But... <laughs> no, that's a lot of books, right? I know. I know. But you never know. We might just get yeah. hooked. And <laughs> anybody out there, you got your books for the year. If you just get her. I'm sure that happens actually to a lot of your readers. Right. Um, so, should we talk about the characters in in the poet? Sorry, I keep looking at the book. It's over there. In the poet, you've got a detective, Samantha Jazz. Yes. And in the Lila Love series, you have a tough FBI profiler. So you have these really gritty cops. And I was curious about the inspiration between the, behind those. Well, Lila and Sam are like nine days. Sam is polite and nice and doesn't appreciate cursing and things like that, even though she's super tough. Whereas Lila, um, I have um, all kinds of gear for my readers that say things like, I'm a perfect effing angel, that kind of thing, because she says the F word a lot. She doesn't <laughs> take people off guard, but they call her Lila effing love. Uh, <laughs> well, if you're offended by the Actually, F I did start reading one of the Lila. I, know you said that, that. I yeah. have it on my Kindle, actually. <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to see what these are about. So it was, yeah, it's I, good so far, but I'm only a few pages in. Well, I feel like with Lila, it's about, um, she's one of those people who, you know, in the world where there's a lot of people who don't, her like, ah, oh, everything offends everybody. Well, Lila intentionally offends everyone, but she also, it, you know, she's not discriminating against anything but stupid. If you're mm -hmm. gay, she's fine. If you're black, she's fine. If you're white, she's fine. If you're tall, if you're short, if you're whatever. But if you're stupid, she has a problem with you. <laughs> so I think that, you know, well, I, 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 can, Lila I can, you know, I that. <laughs> and I have people say a lot, oh, Lila says those things we want to say. You know, she's like, are you effing serious to people when they say something stupid? You right. Know? Um, oh, that so, must be so much fun to write. <laughs> oh, she is. It's like everything I really can't say, <laughs> she right. says, you know, and she tells stupid jokes that nobody gets to so I mean and slipping into her character is really easy for me because I've been writing her for a, a lot of books mm -hmm. and um so that's a lot of fun but Sam was fun too because Sam was a complete different character in the way she approaches you know investigating the crime and the people that she's interviewing is completely different where Lila tries to take him off guard in one way Sam tries to do it in more strategic ways oh I don't get me wrong they're both strategic <laughs> Just, you know, in a different way, a soft charm. You know, she's a, you get more, um, more from sugar than salt. Whereas Lila's like, it's all salt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, speaking of the poet, mm -hmm. um, so this book is about a serial killer who leaves an interesting calling card mm -hmm. um, with his victims, which is lines of poetry. Yes. It's the poet. <laughs> 
And these messages, he leaves them with their the victims, the pieces of poetry, and they seem to be designed especially for Samantha Jazz. So we're not going to give anything away. Yeah. But we love this combination of murder and poetry. Like, where did that come from? I mean, uh, you know, I sometimes I don't know where this stuff comes from, but <laughs> my mom did has books of poetry that she wrote. So I thought, you know, I think probably that was there in my mind. I, I always say that we as writers use almost everything we're ever in contact with. Um, I mean, I had a series that I went to um, to Rome and I went to um, France and I swear every single thing that happened to me there was, you know, in the book. I mean, things like, what do you mean you don't have mirrors in the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't understand the concept of that. Um, <laughs> you know, what if you've like got something in your tooth? <laughs> Why do you think I'm in the bathroom? I haven't yes, checked myself. I make sure our lips <laughs> over my face, which I've done quite often. <laughs> so, um, that kind of thing. So, um, but when you're talking about a thriller thing, you know, if there's a lot of pickpocks or there's whatever things that you're, you know, that come into your life, um, end up showing up even if it's years later in a book. So mm -hmm. I feel like that was a real influence. My husband's mm -hmm. obsession with serial killers, I think, also. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> actor i mean he's obsessed he he loves serial killer killer novels he loves serial killer um, movies um mm -hmm. and so i often talk to him about the books he even if i don't get to read them myself i hear all about them from him so i think that that kind of maybe led to a little bit of my interest in that as well oh yeah i like that. i like serial books too <laughs> You seem to have mastered the art of the twist mm. um, and you, you leave us guessing and wanting to turn the pages. And now that we've talked about it, I guess it is very similar in the romance or at least the romance you write. They're the same approach then, I guess, as thrillers. So that would be a natural transition now that I'm thinking about it. Because at first I was like, do they, is it the same in romance? But I don't read a lot of romance, but if you got the thriller going. Yeah, I mean, I'm not somebody who's, um, who like, believe it or not though, I came up writing category romance and wrote a little bit, a lot of those little cheesy category romance romances. And I really didn't enjoy that much, but I will say that I learned a lot from editors with that. Mm -hmm. Because I, but even my, then my tendency was she'd be like, Lisa, you cannot kill somebody in these books. I'm like, oh, but they're the bad guy. Why did <laughs> they kill him? You know, and I had a novel where, um, with one of my publishers and it was romance and um but it was a special forces guy and they, i was trying to write realistic i like to write realistic and they were in afghanistan and it was a teenager who shot and killed his friend and he was trying to kill him and he shot and killed him like you can't kill him lisa and i'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you could see that even when i started out and i got in however i could get in because back then it wasn't like it is now i mean publishing was very difficult to get in you i mean i'm one of the old schoolers that started when it was a ex very exclusive club mm -hmm. and um so you start where you can start um and uh, so even then, though, that was, you can see I was writing thrillers in my own way. I was fixing, I was like, but I can, I can make it into that, you know. <laughs> you, were you were destined to write thrillers. There's no I was question. always going to. I always wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. All right. So let's take a little sip of our lovely Pinot Noir. And this is the time where we, um, it's a little we're about midway through our talk. And we ask um, the authors we get to talk to what we call the question in the bottle. 
And <laughs> that's cute. it is, um, maybe it's a question you might get to at the bottom of a bottle. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. What's yeah. that going to be? Yeah. You can, you can pass if you don't like yeah, it. Yeah. You can pick another one or something. Okay. So, oh, this is a good one. Who was the first band or musician you were really into and do you still like them? Oh, oh my God. That's either... I'm showing how old I am. No, <laughs> no, we're That's like you're really doing you haven't heard yet, unless you're going to say somebody like from the 20s or something. <laughs> well, I mean, um, well, I don't know whether it was Rick Springfield hmm. or Andy Gibb. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> I was, I was, that was my, my generation. He came on the radio the other day and I'm singing all the words and everything. I was like, how do you know all the words? It doesn't go away. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It stays with you. Yeah. Who would yours be? When I was real young, it was Donnie and Marie. Oh Don my God. Donnie oh, Osmond. <laughs> they were still around. He I is. know. I know. He is. Oh, yeah. They both are. Yeah. Mine would be Sean Cassidy. So oh, came, I liked him too. I, he, was he was on like, I had like Tiger Beat magazine. Uh -huh. Tiger like, Beat magazine. Yes. <laughs> he, and he was on that show, The Hardy Boys or something. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I love The Hardy Boys. <laughs> you have no idea how excited I was when Rick Springfield became the devil on Supernatural. <laughs> oh, I don't think I even no. knew that. I didn't yes. either. I haven't when watched Supernatural. He was the devil. That's hilarious. Well, yeah. so we're both all around the same yeah. age, I can tell. <laughs> okay, that's really, really funny. Yeah. All right, you're up. It's your question this time. I won't take it. Well, I keep stealing your question. No, actually, no, you haven't been, but I, I guess. Oh, it is mine. Is it it mine? was just the intro. I was supposed to do the intro. Oh, well. <laughs> we, we don't, we're not, this is why we don't do this yeah, together. Yeah, because we're, we're together, you know, now we're like, uh, whatever. Um, so anyway, uh, the question is, and now we're going to turn a little bit to um, publishing aspect. So you publish several books each year, which yeah. is amazing. And so can you tell us a little bit about your process that allows you mm -hmm. to be able to turn out so many books um, a year? And I know you have like contracts with different yeah, I mean, you're writing to deadlines. So, I mean, it's a job. You have to look at it like that. And um, people think, oh, it's so great. You get to write books for a living. And it is, don't get me wrong, but it is a job. I mean, if you are sick, if you have something personal going on, you still have to write the book. And I remember many years ago now, my mom had a stroke and I finished the book, but my editor came back later and she's like, Lisa, this isn't you. And I'm like, I know, I should have known. But when she told me all the reasons she thought it wasn't, I'm like, oh, God, you're right. And um, and then I had my daughter-in-law ended up, um, she was in her early 30s and had got on life support for the flu. Um, that particular year, I think it was 14, there was a flu virus that um, it hadn't been around for like 20 or 30 years. So anybody 30 or under had never been exposed. So they were in real trouble. So there were a lot of people in that age group that were hospitalized. And they responded to it about like people are responding to COVID. It was a shocking new virus. Uh -huh. She was completely healthy. So here's my son, who's like this alpha macho guy who calls me bawling that his wife's just been put on life support. So I went and I wrote my book there, but I'm the one who said, I was reading through it. I'm like, oh, okay, it's not. It was one of the inside out novels. I'm like, this is not right. I, I, I had to call my editor and say, I, I can't turn it in. Mm -hmm. um, and then once I was home and she was off life support and all was good, 
I knew exactly what to do to fix it. So, I mean, that's the thing. You have to be disciplined. You have to write no matter what. But there's always that creative element. And most people in the industry do understand that as long as you're reasonable about it, you know, right. you can't always have a problem, you know, right. a career. Yeah. And now you've got enough of a track record, I would say, that they would be able to understand that, okay, you know. No. Yeah. I would hope. Yeah. But, but I mean, because I mean, COVID has been hard for a lot of people, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, the brain fog after it, which I, I've talked to quite a few writers and they all said it took about three weeks and I'm on week three now. Mm -hmm. And um, I can tell that I'm my brain's functioning normally again, but I just had kind of a haze. My husband didn't get that at all. He really? like, you know, yeah, he was a few days. He was fine. But I had I've had the haze, which has been, you know, ugh. I don't yeah, like frustrating. it, yeah. book, you know, I've got to do yeah. my stuff, you know, but, um, but as far as writing goes, I mean, I pretty much do write seven days a week. Um, I, I, I know Stephen King's book on writing. He says, I tell people I don't write on Christmas, but I do yeah. because if you're in the story and it can really affect you, if you change it, even if I write an hour, I just touch those characters or mm -hmm. just a little bit. I read through my chapters from the day before I do something to stay in the story. Um, and then when I do take a break, I'm always, it's always wonderful, but it's always hard to start writing again. Mm -hmm. So do you have like a set, I mean, do you have like a, 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 a normal writing day, like a, a pattern or anything, or are you just kind I of, do. yeah, we, we tend to stay up really late. So I tend to start writing around noon and then I'll write till like six and we'll go take a three mile walk with the dog mm -hmm. and then we go to the gym and then um, the gym is actually where I plot a lot. You know, I don't know why other than there's only room for the pain in the story. I can't think about all the other stuff. <laughs> um, and a lot of times while we're walking, I plot with my husband. I'll talk, to, I'll tell him. And if I'm stubborn, I'm like, I can't get it. I can't get it. He's like, talk to me, talk to me. I'm like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. And finally, three days later, okay, I got to talk, <laughs> you know, because I just, sometimes it's not even something he says. It's me just going through it in a verbal way mm -hmm. to figure out what is wrong. Um, and so, especially with thrillers, because there's a layering of, you know, what you're telling people and what means something. Mm -hmm. um, an easy example that comes to me is inside out. There's roses and you don't realize how important the roses are and they're all the layered ways these roses come back to murder. Um, and so with the poet, it's those poems and um, they're ultimately telling a story um, that's a very personal story for her. And this killer has been, I don't think it's really giving away that much that she's, that he's been at least in her life, even if she didn't know he was in her life for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And that's why mm -hmm. he's so obsessed with her and why she's so perfect for them to say, you need to be the one on this case. Why they knew even without her name or the killer knows even without her name, she's gonna be the one they pick mm -hmm. to help solve this crime. So you, I'm guessing that you must be a, a, a person of the plotting um, design, not so much the pantsing based on what you're saying, or am I guessing wrong? I, I do tend, because with the thrillers, the publishers really like to know where it's going, but like the poet ended up being nothing like what I plotted out. Mm. Um, Inside Out was the same way. And there were so many little things that come to you as you're writing it and you go, this doesn't work. Like the place I started the book, I think it was the poet. Yeah. I started the book at one place and I'm like, this doesn't work because they don't know everything that happened before. I have to go back and start at a different place, which very rarely that happens to me. But I mean, there's just this layering effect that you don't always understand until you're writing it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I love that. 
Yeah. Um, so we did mention that before writing, you had a very demanding career that you had created this business for yourself. I did. I'm very curious about the transition. What took you from that very successful business that you had created into this one? Well, you know, I had done some acting and some independent film, like actually starred in some independent film. But I had kids and, and then my oldest son actually got accepted into actor studio with Full Ride. And oh. it's just I was kind of involved in that world. But it was very impossible for me to do all of that and raise my family. And I mean, I wanted to be successful. So I ended up don't even ask me how I ended up in staffing. I just did. And I'm one of those really obsessive people who if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. And so I was fortunate to be very successful in that. But that creative thing, as my kids got older, it was there, it was there, it was there. So I used to fly between Austin and Dallas um, four days a week. And oh. yeah, and I used to work on the plane. I met the CEO of a very large insurance company because he was sitting across from me. He's like, I have never known anybody that works this hard at six o'clock in the morning. Um, because I was just writing, writing, and we didn't have laptops back then, not oh, like that. Okay. And so I'm writing millions of pages of stuff, like for my assistant and for my all this stuff. And um, but then one day I, I had been a big reader growing up. Um, I was in the airport, and you know, for once I'm gonna read a darn book instead of work. I just need, you know, my kids are active, my business is active, I need something for me. And I finished the book and I said, I'm gonna write a book. And, you know, people say that, but I really did. Like three months later, I'd written a book and I Googled and I found these conventions and I went to a convention and I was in this room and they were like, and there's hundreds of people there. And they're like, so it's really important to finish the book. How many of you finished a book? I couldn't believe I was like 25% of the people in the room who had finished a book. I mean, and I later figured out there's so many people who want to write a book, want to write a book, but what they don't ever do is finish the book and the mm -hmm. first and very few first books are even good right. and i've actually had a lot of books published that i got the rights back to to never let them see light again because i hate them so <laughs> <laughs> and i've talked to other um authors that feel the same way we just hate our early work even though obviously it was publishable yeah. when um gallery bought me for inside out the editor had edited one of my romances that I hated and she's like oh I loved that book I'm like oh my god I hate that book <laughs> I'm so glad you loved it because ultimately we ended up together you know hate that book <laughs> yeah that's yeah. funny well because you learn so much you do. through writing and get better and better in a hundred books I mean oh, we hope that that's the case in all things in life you're always going to be more experienced more knowledgeable I mean if you're podcasting you know how to podcast a hundred times better than when you did when you started yeah. you know <laughs> And everything should get better. And you probably, if you look back at your stuff, um, like your more recent stuff than you did then, you know, yeah, just yeah. because it's human nature, I think, too. Right. So what advice would you give to other um, writers who want to make the transition that, that you, like you did? Write the book. I mean, and then and also remember that one book does not make a career. You don't have to write a hundred books to be successful, but one book is not a career. I see these authors who'll get obsessed over this one book. This is the book of my life, but no one book is a book of your life. Does Dan Brown have one book? No. I mean, it's never one book and they want authors who can produce and continue to make money. Also, the other thing that authors or people don't understand is 
it's a business. It's about making money. Mm -hmm. So you have a right to make money because if you don't, the publishers won't make money. So they think, oh, I, they, they want to, this agent wants to sign me. Well, make sure that you actually know this is a good agent. You know, this publisher wants to sign me, but they want to pay me pennies. You know, is that really the best move? Because now you've established a work for pennies. Mm -hmm. um, so people have to approach things and look at this as a business. And it can be very hard for somebody who's actually never been in a business situation. I mean, they've never had to think about how do I make money? They go to work, but mm -hmm. making money. Right. And if you, and yet when I tell people don't feel guilty about making money or wanting to make money, because if you don't, your publisher will drop you. Yeah. So you have to, you know, it is about making money. How many stars I can give the example, do you see who had hot careers and then all of a sudden they made a couple of bad films and then where are they? They're gone. Right. You know, so it's just like that. You have to think, um, it's, it's about making profit. It's a business. Mm -hmm. That's really um, wise, realistic advice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't think anybody's really told us that before. They've said treat it like a business, but yeah. uh, I mean, you, you, know, really you deserve are, yeah. something, you know. You really are a small business owner as a writer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always oh, you are. think you are. that way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I see a lot of people who, um, so when I very first started publishing, I was not making that much money. So I decided, how do I take what I already have and make some extra money on the side for it? Because I, I always say I was making school teacher pay. It wasn't until inside out that I hit, my career really took off and I made a living at this. Um, and so I started doing marketing for other authors. So I got to deal with so many authors that were well-published. Some were like small press, some were very big names. And I got to see a lot of divas that shouldn't have been divas. And what was ironic was a lot of the divas that shouldn't have, you know, are the ones who weren't divas could have been divas, but they weren't. So it was really interesting. And then over the years to watch how all those careers have played out. And it was the non-divas that are still around. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. interesting. But also um, to see their different perspectives, you know, it, it's great if you can just write your book, but very few authors can just write their book. This has gotten to be more of a competitive world, mm -hmm. internet, podcasting, all of that. If you don't do a whole lot of hats or wear a whole lot of hats, it's that's the business now. It's so right. much different than when I started. Interesting. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more competition too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there is. Okay, so before we go with Lisa, we have one final, final question. question. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with, and what would it be? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I the love and and does it have to be a meal? Can it be just food? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Because I'm not a big drinker, but with Lila, that would be a lot of fun. So Lila, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I think everyone wants to have a drink with Lila Love now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Lisa, if, if um, any of our listeners want to reach you, what's the best way for them to um, seek you out and get a hold of you? I'm on all the social media and I'm very active. Um, so any social media platform. And then, of course, there's my website. But really... Um, social media in general if you email me there if you you know do it you text me what or not text me but you know what Tweet i mean or whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i always respond to people so, yeah we'll have all those links on our website too we will this has thank been you. so I much fun that. yes yes thank you so much for this fun conversation I we're know. all together and everything oh, look all we have to do is now we have to do a cheers cheers, cheers to lisa cheers cheers <laughs> Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.